Good to see each one of you. What a wonderful day to protest. This is how the church was birthed, by the way, in case you haven't read the New Testament lately. Uh, the church was really never popular with society. It was always, they always tried to silence it. Um, and every time they silenced it, it got stronger. In fact, when the church got too comfortable in Jerusalem, God, it says, sent a persecution to Jerusalem so that they would go out into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So God doesn't like us comfortable. He likes us committed. What I've noticed over the course of the last several months is that God is raising up a better, quality, higher quality of Christian. I don't know what happens, but somehow consumerism starts to leave us when we realize we don't have a lot of choices. When you realize that in this state there are about 3,000 churches out of probably 40,000 that are open, and about half of those 3,000 have no indoor services at all. So we are living in some really unprecedented times. A lot of people uh, ascribed it to being like 9-11, but it really is nothing like 9-11. Because 9-11 so brought a nation together around a common enemy, terrorism, and the theme of being a patriot, a patriot was, was strong in everyone's heart. Today, it seems just the opposite that people are separated, and the idea of America being a high-value nation has gone down. But I want you to know that God is in control. Can you put your hands together for that? God is in control. We were reborn for these days. Did you hear me? These are the kind of days we were born for into the kingdom of God. Days when we stand, days when we proclaim, days when we see signs and wonders and miracles and God moving in our land. These are the days we were created for. And when you stop to think about what God is doing, it's really amazing. I want to take you back to 9-11 for a moment. My wife and I were living on the East Coast, and we were departing out of LaGuardia Airport on 9-11. And as we flew by that, that route that was always typically taken by the Twin Towers, we noticed one of the towers was on fire. So we were in the air when the first, after the first plane had hit. We didn't know it was terrorism. We didn't know it was an airplane. We thought it was on fire. Our plane was downed in Detroit. And before we, as we started to land, someone got a cell phone signal and shouted out that the Twin Towers were under attack. We landed, we grouped up with some other people we did not know in Detroit, and we drove back to the East Coast together, listening to the radio, wondering what was going on while our 12-year-old daughter was in a school close to New York and didn't know if her parents had made it or not. Her best friend, dad, was a New York fireman, and he was lost in the Twin Towers. So I just recently heard that New York City is not going to 
I have the We'll Never Forget Memorial for 9-11. They have supplemented that with the mural on the streets of New York, Black Lives Matter. So we're going to have a 9-11 service here. So you're going to hear a lot more about this, but we felt like it was appropriate. And we call it 9-11 and beyond because we not only want to remember those who were lost in the Twin Towers, the beyond is we want to remember our first responders that are, during this season, are on the front lines of what we're doing. I just emailed the chief of police of Anaheim, invited him to come be a part of this. Tammy and I were a part of a, uh, of a luncheon that was appreciation for Anaheim PD uh, a few weeks ago and got to meet the chief and uh, expressed our gratitude for what they do. And so we decided it would be a night where we remember, a night when we celebrate our nation, and we put it all into one night. So we're gonna have music, a laser light show, and a prayer time. And it's gonna be outdoors in our pavilion. I hope you'll spread the word and get the message out that we are serious about loving our nation, loving our first responders. If you were living in 1959 in New York City and you were attending a public school, every morning you would stand and you would recite this prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee and we beg thy blessing upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country, amen. Shortly following, they would have a pledge to the allegiance they would sit down and begin their day of studies. But in 1959, a few atheists filed a lawsuit to stop New York's mandatory school prayer, which took place every morning after the Pledge of Allegiance. In two landmark decisions, Engel versus Vitale on June 25, 1962, and Abington School District versus Skimp on June 17, 1963, the Supreme Court declared that school-sponsored prayer and Bible reading was unconstitutional. Now, if you sit down and start to do the math about if you were seven years old or you were 17 years old, and just add a generation or two on there, you see why we're in the condition we're in today. Because we have left God. God has not left us as a nation, but we as a nation collectively have left God. Congressman Albert Herlong Jr. warned at the socialist-communist agenda infiltrating schools. In a session in Congress in 1963, he read into the congressional record a list of communist goals for America. You can go back and read them in the 88th Congress. And here was the first one. Eliminate prayer or any uh, phase of religious expression in the schools on the ground that it violates the principle of separation of church and state. You see, don't think this was just some random person who decided that their child was offended by prayer in school. This is part of a bigger agenda to crush the very heart of a nation. The second point, control schools. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. If you send your, school, your children to a secular university, you're almost guaranteed that they will be indoctrinated in socialism and communism. It is hard to believe that that will not happen if you're just wise enough to listen to what's happening. 
In fact, I just read this article this morning. I didn't have time to create a slide for it, but the headline is this. Teachers worried more involved parents means less sex ed indoctrination. The teacher within the school district of Philadelphia is lamenting the increased chance of parental oversight if classes are taught online amid the coronavirus. So this fall, virtual class discussions will have many potential spectators, that is, parents and siblings in the same room. She went on to say, we'll never be quite sure who's overhearing the discourse. What does this do for our equity inclusion work? How much have students depended on the secure barriers of our physical classrooms to encourage vulnerability? How many of us have installed some version of what happens here stays here to help this? That's our day. It used to be that you wanted the parents to know what was going on and be involved in the lives of your children, but not if your agenda is that which we talk about today. The next point of the, the communist agenda was to soften curriculum, get control of teachers' associations, put party line in textbooks, control student newspapers. Next, infiltrate churches and replace revealed religion with social religion, that is social justice. So now it all becomes about giving someone a cup of cold water in Jesus' name and not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling people that apart from God, they will they will find themselves separated from God for eternity. Discredit the Bible is the next point and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity which does not need a religious crutch. I don't know about you, but I've hurt my knee and ankle on occasions and I always appreciate a crutch when I had a problem. You see, if you're smart, you realize you have a problem. You're not perfect. If Jesus is my crutch, so be it. I don't know about you, but brainwashing sounds like a good idea when I think about the condition of my brain. <laughs> Amen? Next, discredit American culture. Do you feel like you're living in a prophetic word that came out of 1963 from a congressman? Next, discredit the family as an institution. America's Judeo-Christian heritage and biblically-based culture established by the founders was given a fatal blow in 1963. Abington versus Shemp decision to remove the Bible from public education. The founders had placed the Bible as a backbone of education. The Warren's Court decision established secularism as America's official religion. Everyone that you read about will finally tell you that secularism is a religion. It has an object of worship. It has a process you go through, an adoration that is involved in it, and we're living in it. Or as the Wall Street Journal, a very, very conservative newspaper, we all would agree, put it, quote, unquote, the one belief to which the state's power will extend its protection is secularism. A secularized public square policed by the government is viewed as providing a neutral, rational, free, and safe domain that keeps the irrational forces of religion from creating conflict and darkness. And we are told that real progress requires expanding this domain by pushing religion ever backward into the remote corners of society where it has little or no influence. 
In the words of Carl Sandburg, when a nation goes down, one condition may always be found. They forgot where they came from. I want you to know that our foundation as a nation and as a faith is under attack. In the book of Psalms, chapter 11, in verses 3 through 5, the question is asked, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Have you ever found yourself stepping back and saying, but what can I do? How can I make a difference against so much? Never underestimate your voice or your vote. Never fall back in complacency and say, it will not matter anyway. Your voice and your vote always matters. It's that very mindset that says, you know, religion and politics should just never be discussed. Well, that's the enemy's lie. Those are the two most important things. If you don't have good politics in a nation, the gospel is not free to spread. If you don't have good religion, then you don't have good politics. And so the enemy knows exactly how to strike at the heart of what's really important in our world today. The psalmist went on to say, the Lord is in his holy temple. So on one hand, we find ourselves emotionally over here saying, what can we do? And then God says, I'm in my holy temple. Have you ever let that thought just pervade your mind? When you're worried about what's going on, when you're frightened with the events that you see around you, when anxiety fills your heart, God is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Now watch this, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the son of men. Do you realize that we're under a test? He tests the righteous. It goes on to say, but the wicked, the wicked and the one uh, who loves violence, his soul hates. Did you know God loves some things and hates some things? You see, God loves those who are sincerely looking for him and searching for him with all their heart. But the Bible says he hates those who bring evil on the land. You say, I didn't know God hated anything. God hates a lot of things. Read the Bible. Get a concordance and look up the word hate. Do you think God doesn't hate those who traffic children? You think God doesn't hate those who release prisoners on our streets? You see, evil is to be hated. Good is to be loved. We've got this passive Christianity that thinks we just love everybody and everything. Let me tell you something. If God had that mentality, then Satan would be free to run free, not only in this world, but in the world to come. There are some things that are just wrong. There are some things you have to say no to. If, a, if you're a parent and you've raised children, you understand this very well. There's some things you look at your children and go, you're not gonna do that. And if you do it, I can make more of you. We've all used that idle threat. To my knowledge, no one has ever carried that one out. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. I love the words of Ronald Reagan. He said, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. Do not let fear take control of you in this season of your life. Be courageous. Billy Graham said, when, when, when one man's spine is strengthened, he strengthens the spine of a thousand men. Be strong. Be courageous. Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see, he talks in this psalm about the testing of the righteous. 
The first test I want to talk to you about is a test of love. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do I know if I love God? I keep his commandments. Loving God doesn't mean I say I love God. It means I keep his commandments. I listen to what he says. I do what he says. And then he said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may, be abide, he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So Jesus said to these early disciples, I want you to know there's coming after I leave the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not only with you now, but he's going to be in you. And he is the Spirit of truth. When you take the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you can find truth. He says that he may abide with you for how long? Let's say it together. How long will the Spirit of God be with you when you're saved? The Bible says forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Why can't the world receive it? Because their mindset is anti-God. And it says, because it is neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be where? In you. You know what Christianity is? Christianity is the enfleshment of God. It is God living in your flesh, giving you the power and the authority to do what you could not do apart from him. That's Christianity. Christianity is Christ in you and Christ in me. That's Christianity. Christianity is not religion alone. Christianity is not just doing the right things or keeping the Ten Commandments. No, Christianity is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon a person when they yield themselves to the, to the cross of Jesus and saying, it should have been me who died, but Jesus died in my place. He was buried and rose from the dead that I might have eternal life. That is Christianity. And if you don't have that, then you have religion. Religion will never get you to heaven. Only Jesus will get you to heaven. They're not only the test of love, but the test of endurance. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, John was aware that even in his day, there were those who said, I'm a Christian, but they were fair weather Christians. They could not be found when the heat was turned up. They could not be found when it was uncomfortable. They could not be found at seasons of, of challenge in their life. And it says they went out from us. They were in us. They were with us. But they were not of us. For they have, had they been with us, they would have continued with us. So John says there's one test. Those who stay committed to Christ are his. Those who are fair weather, they leave. People say, well, I tried Christianity and it didn't really work for me. I've heard that my whole life. I've heard people say, well, they used to be a Christian. I said, no, they never were one. They just never were one. Do you mean to tell me, Pastor, you believe that once a person comes to faith in Christ, that they cannot leave Christ? That's right. If they try, they're miserable. The Bible says, do you not know that you were bought with a price? You were bought with the price of the blood of Christ right? You are a temple of God. You might deny him, but he'll never deny you. You see, you yielded your life at salvation. You said, I believe that Jesus is Lord, and I give you my life. Jesus said, I'll take it. Who'd he take it from? Took it from the enemy. We're going to see that in just a few moments. A second verse, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13. I would include, encourage everyone to read Matthew 24 and 25. It's that setting where Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples ask him the question, what will be the sign of your coming? 
When are you coming back? What's going to be the rebuilding and the new, the end of the world? What will that look like? And then Jesus began to teach them, and he talked them about there's going to be trials and tribulations, there's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various parts of the world, but the end is not yet. And then as he takes you through this journey of, of chronology of end times, then he says this, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. You know what's going to happen when things really get tough? There are going to be those who maybe even seated in this room will say, you know, this is just too much for me. I didn't sign up for this Jesus stuff on this level. I guarantee you, if not in this room, it will be in the world somewhere. And they'll say, you know what? I don't know. It seems to me like the mark of the beast is a pretty good idea. Why not? I mean, I don't have to carry wallet anymore. I don't have to carry change around anymore. I can just, they can scan my hand or my forehead and they can make a, a, a transaction for my purchase just like that. Do you know what the Bible says? Those who receive the mark during the tribulation period will never be able to go into the kingdom of God. You can't repent. Once you have the mark, you cannot repent. See, it's important to know your Bible so that you know when the situation demands it, the Spirit of God can bring truth to the forefront and you can understand what time you're living in. The battle is spiritual. Never think it's merely a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle as well. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, before you got saved, you were dead. That means you're unresponsive to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God. You were dead. How was I dead? I was dead in my sins and my trespasses. So if I'm dead, I can't respond to God. But now, guess what? He's talking to the Christian community, and he says, in which you formerly walked according, listen to this, to the course of this world. So what happened? When I was dead, I was following a leader, and the leader was none other than Satan himself. But when I got saved, I gave up that, that death warrant against me. I gave up that false leader. I got life, and I chose to follow Jesus Christ, the living God. He said, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Now, look what it says here. We're going to take each one of these a little at a time. The course of this world. You see, there is a thinking and a philosophy in this world, and it tries to convince you that you're crazy. How can you think like that? Are you nuts giving up a Sunday to go to church? Well, guess what? Most Christians don't have that opportunity in, in California today because their churches are closed. The course of the world and the prince of the power of the air, do you realize that Satan himself is called a prince? And he works in this atmosphere, this spiritual atmosphere that's described here as the prince of the air. I cannot reveal some of the details of this because it's not public knowledge, but I had a very interesting conversation with a, uh, a person of pretty high up in Christian radio, and he said, in the last two weeks, there have been numerous cyber attacks against Christian radio that it shut down everything that was digital. The only reason that people weren't aware of it was because the radio is analog. But it was so devastating that it shut down everything they were doing and even penetrated firewalls. Now, now think about this. This was not accidental. If there are multiple large radio stations across 
and networks across America, and all of them experienced it on the same day, it tells you that there was an intentional attack against what the message is. The message has to go out. You see, the spirit that is now working, might I just add, he went on to say the spirit, that's an unholy spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Do you realize when I make a bad decision as an unbeliever, I'm not making it alone. It's not me, it's me plus the influence of the world, the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So I choose to go around, and I think that I can make my own decision and I go my own route. No, 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 the Bible says that is the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. I love the words of Alan Redpath. He said, it is impossible for a man chosen of God to be at peace with the children of the devil. Let that sink in a little bit. A man or a woman or a culture anointed by the Holy Spirit is immediately the target of Satan. You know, I've gotten in trouble times just, I didn't even say anything. I'm not talking about with my wife. But I, 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 I can become an offense to someone because of the Christ who lives in me and I didn't even open my mouth. Do you realize that you are the living, walking, breathing temple of the living God? And that the Spirit of God that is in you, not only does it attract, but it also repels. So sometimes we're alarmed. Well, what did I do? You did nothing. See, Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you. In this world, you have tribulation. I love the next part of that verse. But be of good cheer. I love the way God looks at things. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. There's something that energizes us when we realize we are on a mission. I can remember years ago, I was doing three or four crusades a year in El Salvador. And when we first started going down there, it was during that time when the FMLN, the Communist Party, was, was still trying to get control of that nation and just devastating a nation with what was going on. And I can remember being shot at. We saw someone killed not far from us by the Communist Party, trying to be silenced. And it seemed like the more they tried to silence us, the more excited we got. And I realized the Bible says, be of good cheer in the middle of tribulation. If you're you're out there doing what you need to be doing, then be of good cheer. I don't know what I'm gonna do. They're trying to silence my Christianity, then speak. I can't go to church, then go. Stand, when you're tempted to sit, stand in the midst of the battle. He went on to say, a woman or a culture anointed by the Holy Spirit is immediately the target of Satan. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman will always be at enmity until Jesus comes back. You see, the time is now to watch and to pray. In the Bible, that phrase, watch and pray, is used eight times specifically related to the return of Christ. It's used many more times in other connections, but I want to give you a a sign of the time, just one today. Uh, This one is a headline. You probably saw the peace agreement that was made between Israel and uh, UAE. So here's a headline that came out of Al Jazeera, very conservative newspaper in the Middle East. Iran... 
UAE-Israel deal, a stab in the back to Muslims. Anytime Iran doesn't like something we do, I know we're on the right track. <laughs> do you realize that Iran is mentioned in Scripture as Persia, and it's tied to the end times in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 13. In fact, if you read chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel, you'll, you'll find this scenario, this end time scenario. It's not the, the great tribulation. This is prior to that. And this is where there's a coalition of nations that are coming against the nation of Israel. And you'll see strange names like Gog and Magog, Tagarma, Gomer, uh, some of the Persia, some of these names, you'll say, who are those people? And you understand that Gomer is Germany and Tagarma is Turkey and Persia is Iran and Gog and Magog is Russia. And they come up against Israel and they're going to do battle. But God delivers them. And there's a few nations that say, why are you doing this and what's going on? Do you realize that the UAE is only the third Arab country to, to strike a peace deal with Israel? The others are Egypt, which signed a deal in 79, Jordan in 94. It's been 26 years since that last peace deal, and it's happening in our lifetime. 26th year. Does that mean anything to you? The number 26 in Hebrew is a number Yahweh or the number God. You see, one of the things that's going to have to happen before this end-time scenario is played out is there will be a peace covenant that will, Israel will make with a future antichrist. So already you're beginning to see things line up. You're living in prophetic times. I went through and I looked up all these different um, countries and I wanted to see what's your reaction to what's happening in this peace deal. Let me give you just a real quick synopsis. Those who were against it, Iran, they said it's a huge mistake. Turkey said, why, it's hypocritical behavior. Libya says betrayal. Hamas rejected. Palestinian leadership rejects and denounces. Well, I kind of would expect it out of many of those players. Let's, how about those who were for it that I could identify? Germany said it's a welcome, the historic deal. Oman, achieve a lasting Middle East peace. Bahrain, welcome the accord. And Egyptian, uh, Egypt, welcome the agreement. Here's what I believe you can watch. I think if you'll keep your eye on Bahrain, they're gonna be the next one to sign a peace deal with Israel. And I think Saudi Arabia will follow that next. You see, we're living in prophetic times. When you look at what happens in Ezekiel 38 and 13, not the topic of our message today, this is just a parenthesis in what we're doing. But what you'll find there is there are some nations that come together, and one of the nations there is called Ethiopia. Now, this is not the Ethiopia we think of in Africa. This is an Ethiopia, it was used in multiple times, of the Saudi Arabia Peninsula. And now you're beginning to see Saudi's already an ally, but I think they're going to sign a peace agreement. Bahrain will be, I think, the next one. And you're beginning to see the movement that's happening in our world in the spiritual realm. Now, that phrase, watch and pray, is important. In Matthew chapter 24, it speaks about the return of Christ the return of Christ. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Do you realize if you had a message today, and the message was this, Jesus Christ is coming today at 3 p.m., and you knew it was true, what would you do between now and three? Oh, you'd pray. 
You'd run up your credit cards. That's a joke. Some of you go, that's a good idea. <laughs> what would you do? You'd make changes in your life, wouldn't you? You see, God doesn't want us to know the hour or the time because he wants us to live in the urgency of the moment to live our life for Jesus Christ every day, expecting that he may come back today. And it goes on to say, but know this, that if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come in, he would have watched, watched, and not allowed his house to be broken in. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Are you ready for his return? Do you know Jesus Christ in your heart of hearts? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that if you stood before God today and he asked you this question, why should I let you into my kingdom? You would have an answer that would satisfy the throne of heaven. Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Listen to what the Bible says. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Jesus said, you know how a thief comes, unannounced. I'm gonna come unannounced. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, keeping the garments means to walk in purity. Matthew 25 and verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you do not know either the, the day or the hour which the Son of Man is coming. Mark chapter 13, verse 33. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. And Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Remember, go back in your life. Remember the day that you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Remember how you listened and you were attentive and you read the word of God and you were concerned about the things of God. Do you remember those days? And remember how you received the word of God? He says, go back to that day. Remember, received and heard, and hold fast. Do you know Christianity is about holding fast? It's about not giving up. It's about hanging in there just another minute, another minute, another minute. He says, therefore, if you, will, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So he reminds us here, we need to be watchful. We need to be diligent. We need to be careful, because the days we're living in are unprecedented times, last days in God's plan. I want to ask you this question. If you were standing before God today, and he said to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Do you have an answer that will satisfy the throne of heaven? You might say, well, I went to church and I'm a good person and I got baptized and I took communion. People give me those answers all the time. And they're sincere. They really are sincere. And I think that sincere heart sometimes is the most dangerous heart if it's not met with truth. You see, here's the truth that the only way we can come in to relationship with God is by faith. It's the mercy of God. It's me looking at the cross of Calvary and saying, he died for my sins. Every one of my sins. I should have died. The penalty of sin is death, the Bible says. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I believe that he died for my sins, they took him off that cross. They put him in a tomb. They said, well, we're done with this agitator. And three days later, God had a different plan. 
God rolled back the stone and there came forth a being so magnificent, so alarming, that trained Roman guards left in fear. So radical was it that they determined they would try to hide it, lest the latter be worse than the former in terms of sending the message of who is this Jesus. When he rose from the dead, those who were fearful before became courageous. You see, this whole history of men and women, boys and girls, who stood for Jesus in, even in the face of adversity because they believed in the life to come. They believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They believed that he took away their sins. So when I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, the promise of God is you will be saved. Have you had that experience? If you haven't, I want you to have that today. Whether you're here, outside, watching online, wherever you may be, to have that moment in your life where you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna ask you to pray with me like this. You can pray it right where you sit or stand, at home, outside. You can do it with your eyes wide open. I always think it's better to speak it out. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a tomb, that you rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. I receive you now, Lord Jesus. I give you permission to come into my life. I crown you Lord and King of my life, Lord Jesus. Save me, Lord Jesus. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Give me the gift of eternal life, I pray in your name. If that was your prayer, just say amen. Amen. And just thank him. Thank him right now. Thank him, amen. Thank him for salvation. Thank him for salvation.